Welcome to UCLA Extension's Business Insights with Roger Ternaden, where we highlight hot topics and underlying economic trends useful to you. The Anderson School of Management at UCLA has a significant economic research group. If one goes back to the 07-08 Great Recession, they were actually one of the first groups to call that recession. Several days ago, the Anderson School completed a review of the U.S. and California economies, and I'd like to share that review with you. Additionally, I can share this review as a link on the SoundCloud site in the description of today's podcast, so you can really have access to the PowerPoints of this presentation yourself. I'm going to give you an overview, and should you want more details, including charts and graphs, please take advantage of this. The Anderson Forecast is sponsored by a number of Southern California corporations, as well as some of the large money center banks and some of the major law firms in Southern California, as well as defense and manufacturing firms. So it's well worth a look. Jerry Nicholsberg is the director of the UCLA Anderson Forecast, and I'm going to give you a summary of his unit's research. First of all, the California employment trends have plateaued recently. The California employment prior to COVID was approximately 17.5 million employed. And during COVID, that dropped to about 15 million. And now we're up covering a bit more than half of that distance. The unemployment is stubbornly on a plateau, and we'll go into some of the job losses and their prospects for recovery. At the end of today's discussion, I'd like to talk about job opportunities that are really strategic that we we have identified in UCLA Extension coming out of not only economic crisis, but also a structural changing economic environment, as you'll see. The non-farm payroll jobs by sector, the four most heavily impacted that have so far been the most stubborn to recover, have been retail trade. And as you know, that's been going on pre-COVID, but it continues on at a more serious negative pace. The other services, which includes a lot of the administrative positions, education, including private and public schools, and leisure and hospitality, with leisure and hospitality being the most impacted, where presently there are still 600,000 jobs that have not come back. However, they are beginning to come back given the reopening of restaurants and hotels. It's not foreseen that the employment in the leisure and hospitality sector would return anywhere near to where it was in 2019, much before sometime in 2023. So this is going to be a weak part of the economy for the next couple of years. And and some of the reasons for that include the collapse of international tourism, international air passenger arrivals, Pre-COVID at LAX were about 1,100,000 passenger arrivals monthly, and that dropped to a low 
pretty much zero during the worst part of COVID. And so far as of January 2021, the recovery has only grown to about 200,000. So out of a million 100,000, we're still missing 900,000 arrivals monthly. And the same is true for San Francisco. SFO, where the arrivals pre-COVID were about 700,000, dropped to about zero, and now they're only up to maybe 50, 75,000 as of January of this year. International travel, based upon significant research, you've likely seen pieces of this research in the media, is expected to take some number of months and possibly a year or two to really be in a strong recovery mode. Even though at some point the regulatory environment will be relaxed, their surveys show that there is a reluctance, particularly for family travel, particularly country to country. So that's going to be an area that's going to have employment repercussions, or I should say unemployment repercussions. For the state of California, this particular recession or crisis has been unique. In prior recessions, the state of California has had substantial losses of state revenue. And as I mentioned in prior podcasts, California has a significant reliance on capital gains and capital income. Could be from real estate taxes, capital gains on real estate, as well as the stock market. So in total, as we have moved through January, the revenues of the state of California have actually remained above last year, which was above the prior year. I'm not at all confident that other states have this unusual outcome, but so far the state of California has benefited. And a part of that reason is home sales. Not only have home sales grown back to approximately 500,000 existing single-family home sales on an annual basis, but that was a quick snapback from the depths of COVID. And that uptrend in California home sales, although leveling off a bit, has brought with it substantial home price increases. For example, the California median home price in January exceeded $700,000. And a year earlier, that amount was uh, approximately 600,000 a year prior to that it was 550,000 and so forth. So the uptrend has actually picked up momentum during recent periods. California new residential permits have actually rebounded a bit. The peak of the residential permits was in 2006 at about 20,000, a three-month moving average of about 20,000 units of new permits that dropped from the uh, 07, 08 Great Recession down to single digits, down to about 3,000. And now we've improved, grown back to about 10,000. So we're about half of the peak in terms of new permits over a three-month moving average period. That has stayed pretty stable in recent months, and it's expected to grow modestly over the next couple of years. That will likely provide additional support for the housing market. Of course, the housing market increases, importantly, zip code and area of city related, as well as particular cities in the state. So this is not a forecast that's for every single home in California, of course. Going into trade, the ports are really picking up considerably over what they were in the depths of the, at least the beginning of the COVID economic crisis. 
In fact, the change in goods movements through the California ports has increased pretty significantly in past several months, moving up to about a 15% increase. And presently, there are a lot of bottlenecks at the ports, COVID-related bottlenecks in receiving the containers, unloading the ships, and so forth. So as you likely have read, there are many ships carrying merchandise that's very late in arriving. And some of the holiday orders that were made, particularly for July 4th holiday or for other seasonal changes in apparel, this lateness is causing issues obviously in the supply chain, but in terms of revenues in retail, as well as frustrations Unfortunately, there's nothing that can really be done about it as far as we know. So in summary for this section, the Anderson forecast did research on the question, is everybody leaving California? And they looked particularly at the Bay Area, which has been pretty volatile in past contractions. For example, in the 1990 aerospace contraction, moving to Los Angeles again, the rents in Los Angeles fell by about 14%. Home prices fell by almost 4%. Employment fell by almost 4%. In the dot-com bust, moving back to the Bay Area, Bay Area rents fell by 25% back in 2001. Home prices fell by between 2 and 3%. Employment fell in the Bay Area by almost 8%. And if we look at the exclusion of leisure and hospitality, retail, and the other services, including the education category, employment back in 2001 fell by 10%. So these were pretty noticeable economic setbacks, both in Los Angeles earlier, San Francisco in 2001. And in 2020, Bay Area rents have fallen so far by about 13%, but home prices this time have gone up by almost 3%. Employment, again, excluding the leisure, hospitality, retail, and other services, has only fallen between 2 and 3%. So these are indicators of where the issues lie in this COVID panic or economic setback versus the prior two. A lot of the setback in Los Angeles has been students and faculty not on the university campuses. The same is true to a bit of a degree in Los Angeles. An impact has also been technical workers leaving, particularly the low-income renters leaving the city, working remotely from anywhere but the central city, and others maintaining a pied de terre in the major cities but spending substantial amounts of time working remotely outside. This is expected to a significant degree continue. And in the second section today, we're going to talk about the impact on professions based upon a continuation of a significant amount of remote work. Obviously, where people can do remote work, there are categories of workers that cannot work so easily remotely. And unfortunately, that has been a major issue in the recovery, particularly in the education area with maintenance, in-class instruction, primarily in the public schools. The other issues have related to a lack of traffic for the service businesses in the downtowns with a lot of people working remotely outside of the area. The real counterintuitive 
conclusion for the state of California is that there really does not appear to be a substantial statistical basis for assuming mass outflows from California. For example, while three-quarters of the residents who filed for a change of address during March through November of 2020 stayed in the Bay Area, more than 24,000 moved elsewhere, and, and this is important, they moved elsewhere in California with only approximately 4,000 leaving the state. The key recipient states of California outflows have been Washington State, about 1,200 families, Oregon, about 600, Nevada, about 500, Texas, about 740. We're going to be keeping an eye on this, but the massive outflows that the media has really pounded on the drum are really not supported by statistical evidence. There has been a lot of movement within California. 84,000 people have moved, but they moved within the Bay Area. 24,000 in Los Angeles have moved, but they've stayed in California. So the mass exodus is really, so far anyway, over-publicized. Importantly, a lot of the money that supports Silicon Valley and Silicon Beach remains in these areas. In the second half of 2020, there was about $25 billion of new venture capital investment in the Bay Area, about $10 billion in Southern California compared to about $10 billion in New York. New England, about $7 billion. The southeastern part of the United States, about $6 billion. And Texas, only uh, about $2 billion. So the investment in technology and the technology base for venture capital is quite substantial and, again, may be over-publicized in terms of it moving. There's no question about changes in the past year being all about the pandemic, but there's no evidence of mass exodus from California. The Anderson survey or the Anderson forecast has also concluded that job loss remains concentrated in the human contact sections, partially due to public health restrictions and also due to COVID risk aversion by consumers. We can see that public health restrictions are relaxing, at least so far, assuming no significant additional wave. And the COVID risk aversion, though, is substantial. So the recovery is going to be handicapped longer term by the risk aversion by consumers. Technology, logistics, including warehousing and housing, show strength and are maintaining that strength. The California state revenues continue to grow. So the overall California forecast shows a continuation of job growth through 2021, 2022, and 2023. The unemployment rate will be higher than historical rates during this whole period, and the jobs will likely not catch up with what the job trend was before COVID. But the recovery seems to be real, seems to be long-term, and driven by factors that we just mentioned. In many ways, the COVID crisis has compressed future timelines where Some industries had been evolving more towards utilization of digital tools. Education was evolving more toward utilizing online and remote live instruction. You can pretty much look across industries and find examples of a paced evolution towards digital management and digital transformation. COVID has compressed these timelines to 
it's hard to put a number on it, but in the past year, in my view, we have probably had the time compressed maybe five years in terms of change. And the future is not going to go backwards. It's going to, it's going to go on trends that are established now. And some of the trends have been substantially enhanced in the past year. I don't say that all trends are good or all trends are positive, but the trends for change in business and organizational performance are largely jumping off points for more change in the future that relates to what we've seen in the past year. For example, companies and nonprofits know they have too much office space and they know they don't need to have everyone coming in from eight to five or nine to six or office hours five days a week. They know now that if they do need face-to-face -face meetings, and I think many organizations need them, would benefit by them, they need them on a much lower frequency than the assumption was in 2019 and prior years. The implications for office space are not particularly positive. And in fact, I would be very concerned if I were an owner and did not have office space that could be converted to residential or some related residential use. That's not really my point here in this section of the podcast, but the use of the internet, the use of remote work and the use of digital tools empowers many changes in business processes, electronic commerce, buying items, selling items, servicing, communication and collaboration implications. Electronic collaboration has been substantially enhanced over what it was a year or two ago. Presentations, strategy building, and importantly, and I think most importantly, customers. Customer relationship management, problem-solving customer issues, communications with customers concerning your organization's programs and products. Overall, customer service outreach and continuity and appreciation has changed mightily from a year ago. We can move into supply chains, electronic distribution, global wholesaler platforms. We can move to the security of transactions, order tracing, accounts payable, the financial security of transactions, regulations, compliance with regulations, upcoming community, state, county, and federal regulations. So in total, many of these implications are almost too much to appreciate if one takes a large bite out of in, in industry. But in your profession, particularly if you're a small business, particularly if you're a CEO, or you are anticipating starting a new business, these changes in the past year just cannot be ignored or denied. So what we at UCLA Extension have done so far is we have added enhancements into our accounting, finance, and many other classes the learning objectives that relate to artificial intelligence, robotics, digital transformation, and I'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But an outcome will be a focus on digital marketing. That was even the case before COVID, but particularly now, we'll be launching a new program on digital marketing. In fact, we plan to launch in the fall of this year a new program that focuses on digital management and transformation. 
It'll be a short program, can be completed within a year. It, it's anticipated it would be eight short courses, and these would be importantly accessible online and with remote live learning. But our objective is to prepare students for managing a business or a nonprofit or government agency effectively in the present and future with the evolving global digital environment. And the overall learning objective with our digital enhancements would be to attain and know how to utilize a digital tool set, stressing practical strategies, applications, and organizational change. The business community has fundamentally changed by the internet as a means of communication, work, and buying and selling. Digital management has implications for a whole range of issues affecting an organization, including the adoption and management of technology, the choice of business models, economic business analysis, marketing and customer service, legal compliance, and cybersecurity issues. Many small, medium, and large-sized organizations are rapidly losing their ability and financial sustainability to a small number of mega-digital companies that you all know, and they are becoming more dominant. Some of these companies are positioned as direct competitors, while some can be harnessed to help grow smaller organizations that adopt powerful digital strategies and practices. What we are focusing on as higher educators is preparing our professional students to qualify and stand out as well-prepared managers, directors, and business owners, to help the organization become more digitally savvy, which means more competitive, and that means, importantly, successful in future years. We are focusing on education objectives that build or help build a small business for long-term growth, applying digital marketing, digital product management, digital financial management, and importantly, and most importantly of all, team building in this new environment. I'd like to give you an indication specifically of the jobs that are high-level jobs. You can find these yourself. You can go to Glassdoor. You can go to Indeed.com. But the top 50 jobs are anticipated for this year and momentum will be increased for next year. They include some of the technology areas like Java development, data scientist, information security engineer, and all of these jobs pay well in excess of six figures per year. But you don't have to be aiming at technology jobs that pay more than six figures per year. A product manager is the number three fastest growing job as anticipated by Glassdoor.com. Median base salary of 121000 a year and they show 14,500 job openings right now. You can go also go to a business development manager, making not quite $100,000 a year, with almost 9,000 job openings right now. HR managers, number 12 in terms of anticipated growth. Median base salary, $88,000 a year, almost 4,000 job openings right now. Strategy manager, again, over six figures, $123,000 a year with over 2,600 openings. Salesforce presents a wonderful opportunity for career development. Salesforce.com, a developer of Salesforce, applications developer, not necessarily with Salesforce, but with companies using Salesforce. And Salesforce has a really substantial market share in CRM, customer relationship management. A Salesforce.com tool developer, $89,000 per year 
median base salary, 3,300 job openings. But we can also go into areas that are in finance and accounting, Tax manager, number 19, growth job, $111,000 median salary, over 4,000 openings. Program manager, $80,000 a year median base salary, almost 19,000 openings. A user experience designer, very similar. I'll just omit some of the numbers unless they stand out, but I'll go through some of the top jobs. The sales management profession, over 16,000 job openings, is importantly moving towards the digital tool set for managing sales. A clinical nurse, $74,000 a year median base salary, 7,700 job openings, one of the top growth areas, as well as a clinic manager. Business analyst is in the top 30 job opportunities in the same pay category as in the under 100,000, for example, $76,000 median base salary, 14,000 job openings. Marketing manager, which is contrasted with a sales manager, but the marketing manager is an additional 12,800 job openings. Same general compensation area. Project manager, 34,000 job openings. Same $80,000 range for base compensation. In real estate, 8,000 job openings for real estate. And many of you have seen a lot of the digital changes that have impacted the traditional real estate industry. And you can go to Zillow, you can go to many of the platforms. But you also know that many tools are being developed to make inroads into lowering the 5 to 6% traditional real estate commission. But in the use of digital technology, this is very much a growth area. Attorneys, pretty much the same. Operations managers, physicians assistants, all call out because their compensation is $107,000 median base salary with 5,600 job openings. Risk manager, which would be in an insurance company, could be a claims, third-party claims processing company, could be a bank. Risk manager, same magnitude of compensation and job opportunities as those I mentioned before. Finance manager, $110,000 base salary, 6,600 job openings. I'll stop here, but I think you get the idea. I want you to get the idea, and I really would recommend, if you haven't done it, to go to some of the job sites. Glassdoor.com is particularly useful for looking at job opportunities in geographical areas. I would also look at Indeed.com, and you likely have others in your area that you can utilize. But you can, I think, begin to see, particularly looking at the job descriptions, that the past year has really made a digital-related education to most any profession added value. And with that, I really invite you to peruse our courses and curriculum at www.uclaextension.edu. UCLA extension is one word. Finally, I would like to invite you to register for the free course, which delves into the history of U.S. financial panics and recoveries. The course is free. There is no homework. All the materials are provided online. If you go to, again, UCLA extension.edu, scroll down to no charge or free courses. You can navigate pretty easily to the course on panics, recessions, and recoveries, whereby I think you'll learn based upon the past 40-plus economic downturns that we've had in the country since 1776. You can see in more depth why this one is different, why it's taking a much longer time for the recovery, and which of the job categories have been impacted the most severely. But on the other hand, which of the job categories are showing some of the highest growth opportunities, such as those that I mentioned. 
In the meantime, be well. Keep your fingers crossed along with me that we are moving out of the COVID recession period. It's going to take some time. It's not all roses from here, but moving out and looking at our economic prospects should be very rewarding, job-wise and investment-wise. Goodbye for now. Be sure to email us at rtornadin at uclaextension.edu on more specific questions, which we will answer either personally or select as part of our future podcast. Hosted by Business and Legal Programs Director Roger Tornadin. This podcast is presented by UCLA Extension and produced by Jamie Moss at Studio 10960. These podcasts are made for educational purposes and are not financial advice. The goal is to educate and provide resources on focused economic and job trends with the latest support research so that you can make more informed financial and career decisions that best suit your personal needs. UCLA Extension offers more than 5,000 online and in-classroom courses taught by over 2,000 leading practitioners to help you get from here to there. For more information on this podcast or our financial and legal programs, please check us out at www.uclaextension.edu. We know it's about your life, not just your money.